Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Psalms, Psalm 66. Psalm 66, we will read the whole of the psalm and the text for this morning's sermon will be verse 16. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say unto God, How terrible art thou in thy works! Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. Selah. Come and see the works of God. He is terrible in His doing toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in Him. He ruleth by His power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. O bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of His praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life and suffereth not our feet to be moved. For Thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidst affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but Thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. I will go into Thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay Thee my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer unto thee burnt sacrifices of fatlings with the incense of rams. I will offer bullocks with goats. Selah. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. I cried unto Him with my mouth, and He was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor His mercy from me. We read God's Word to that point. The text for this morning's sermon is verse 16. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. Child of God, Imagine for a moment that recently someone saved your life. That is, you had come this close to death on account of some tragic circumstance. Perhaps it was that you were caught in a burning building, or maybe you were being held at gunpoint, or perhaps you endured some injury and you were about to bleed out. But then just when it seemed that all hope was lost, someone came along and rescued you, whether it was a fireman, a police officer, an EMT. That person showed up at just the right time and God used them to preserve your physical life. Would you not tell others 
about that event and about that person? Would you not be eager to retell the whole story and to emphasize especially the prominent role that person had in saving your life? Would you not sing that person's praises every opportunity that you had? I believe all of us would. But now how much more shall we not praise our God for the far greater deliverance that He has wrought for us? That's what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 66. This is a man for whom God had done great things. This was a man whose soul God had held in life and whose feet God did not allow to be moved. And the psalmist knew it. The psalmist was well aware of what God had done for him and thus was eager to tell others about God's wondrous works on his behalf. The psalmist had a burning desire to let everyone know about God's faithfulness in his own life. And would to God that was more true of us. It's not entirely untrue because by our profession of faith as Christians, we do testify of the saving work of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. And Anna, that's what you've done this morning by your public confession of faith. You have testified of Christ's work in your life. You've told others about what God has done for you. But though this is true of us to a measure, would anyone disagree with me in asserting that there is much room for growth? For the reality is that it's more often the case that when it comes to speaking about spiritual matters, our tongues are stuck to the roofs of our mouths. We fall silent. We have little, if anything, to say about our God and what He has done for us. Thus, it's good for us to consider this psalm so that by God's grace, we might adopt the same thinking, the same mentality, the same desire as the psalmist here whose word to his fellow believers was, let me tell you what God has done for me. And we'll take that as our theme this morning as we consider Psalm 66, verse 16. Let me tell you what God has done for me. First, we will look at the recounting of His works. Second, declaring them to others. And third, glorifying God thereby. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Recounting His works, declaring them to others, and glorifying God thereby. The psalmist in Psalm 66 had a clear desire to tell others about what God had done for him. He says, 
Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. But it's important for us to see this morning that this desire of the psalmist to tell others what God had done for him arose out of a heart that was focused on God's works. So that the psalmist, by faith, recognized God's hand in his life. He was well aware of what God had been doing for him. It was on the forefront of his mind so that he was able to recount God's great works. And I use that word recount very deliberately because that's really the idea of that word declare in the second half of the text that we are considering. And I will declare what He hath done for my soul. That word declare in its most basic form means literally to count. And in the specific form that's used here, it has the idea of counting over again so that it has the idea of recounting or rehearsing something. Going over some event, some experience. And that implies that the psalmist had much that he wanted to say. He wanted to recount what God had done. That is, he wanted to enumerate all of his wondrous works. So it's not just one or two things that the psalmist has in view but a whole host of them so that the psalmist here has the same mentality as the psalmist in Psalm 71, verse 15, who says, My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. There are countless things the psalmist wants to say about God and His works. And that is indeed the emphasis of what the psalmist wants to say. The emphasis is on what God has done. The language of the text is, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. The psalmist is recounting God's awesome works. He mentions them, for example, in a general way in verses 3 and 5. Verse 3, Say unto God, How terrible art thou in thy works through the greatness of thy Power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. And then again in verse 5, come and see the works of God. He is terrible in His doing toward the children of men. And both verses 3 and 5 speak of God's works as being terrible or God Himself being terrible. And the idea is God's works are so great, so glorious that they instill within the believer a sense of fear, a sense of reverence. And other translations capture this well when they translate this as referring to God's awesome works. These are works that fill the believer with a sense of awe for our God. And the psalmist makes mention of some of God's works in the past. His work in the nation of Israel, for example. In verse 6, He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice in Him so that the psalmist recalls God's mighty work of leading Israel out of the land of Egypt and through the Red Sea is the culmination of the Exodus. He also has in mind God's work as ruler over all. That's verse 7. He ruleth by His power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves so that the psalmist was mindful of God's power as the sovereign of the universe, as the one who even rules over the wicked nations. 
But though all of that is a part of what the psalmist has in mind, that's not what's on the forefront of his mind. That is, the psalmist is not so much interested in what God has done from a general point of view in creation or in history or in the world at large, but rather his focus is on what God has done for him personally. And that comes out in the language of the passage, verse 16, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. So that his interest here is on what God had been doing in his own life as an individual from a personal point of view. And specifically, what God had done in his spiritual life. Let me tell you what He's done for my soul. So that the focus is not just on, well, He's given me my daily bread or whatever it may be, but let me tell you about what He's done to preserve me spiritually for the sake of my salvation. And in light of the context, we can get a pretty good idea of what the psalmist has on the forefront of his mind and what God had done for him recently in bringing him through some difficulty. The psalmist had undergone a trial that's evident from verse 10. For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us, as silver is tried. He went through some difficult time, but God brought him through. The end of verse 12. We went through fire and through water. That's a reference to the the trial, the affliction, but the end of the verse. But thou brought us out into a wealthy place that is into a a place of abundance. We were in a, a miserable condition and Thou didst lift us up out of that. And God did this in direct answer to the psalmist's prayer. Verse 17, I cried unto him with my mouth. And then verse 19, But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. So that the psalmist saw God's faithfulness in answering his prayers. And it was in light of all of this that the psalmist says what he does in verse 9, his general confession about God that he holdeth our soul in life, and suffereth not our feet to be moved. The psalmist had tasted God's saving grace. So that when he pens the words of Psalm 66, he does not write from an ivory tower. These words are not cold, abstract truths to him. But he's speaking from experience. As one who had seen God's preserving grace in, at work in his own heart and life. And so, so that now God's works in his life are on the forefront of his mind. That's what, what he's thinking about. And it's with that in mind that he wants to tell others about what God has done for him. He wants to rehearse the matter. He wants to recount the matter to others. And should that not be our desire as well? For God has done great works for us. He has. And the chief of those great works on our behalf, those awesome works, is His work to save us in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. What a truly awe-inspiring, fear-inducing work that was for the Son of God to come down into this world 
to clothe Himself in our humanity. To assume to Himself a a true human nature. But to take not only our humanity upon Himself, but also our sins, our guilt, so that our iniquities were laid upon His shoulders. On account of which He then suffered all of His life long. So that the very Son of God was made the object of reproach. He endured mockery and humiliation. But yet through it all, He never once sinned. He lived a life of perfect obedience. Keeping every law that God set before Him. And He was obedient even under the death of the cross. For He willingly went to Calvary to lay down His life for us as sheep. He drank the cup of God's wrath. He endured the agonies, the torments of hell hell on our behalf. And then He laid down His life. But only to take it up again. For after three days in the grave, He arose again from the grave. Death could not contain Him. The grave could not hold Him down and within itself. He arose. He arose as a victor. And then He ascended up into heaven to sit down at God's right hand to rule over the whole world by His power and to rule over His church by His grace. What a mighty work. What an awesome work that God has wrought for us in and through Jesus Christ. But His works go beyond that. That's the the chief of His works. But yet, we can also see His works in our own lives personally as individuals. And that includes the gift of faith that He has given to us. So that if we ask, well, what has He done for my soul personally? Well, He's opened my blind eyes. That's our confession that we make as reformed believers. This is the truth of the Canons of Dort. Heads 3.4, Article 14. Canons of Dort, Heads 3.4, Article 14 reads this way, Faith is therefore to be considered as a gift of God. Not on account of it being offered by God to man to be accepted or rejected at His pleasure, but because it is in reality conferred, breathed, and infused into Him. Or even, so here's another negative statement, because God bestows the power or ability to believe and then expects that man should by the exercise of his own free will consent to the terms of salvation and actually believe in Christ. But, here's the positive, Because he who works in man both to will and to do, and to do, and indeed all things in all, produces both the will to believe and the act of believing also. So that what we're being taught here is a summary of God's word is that both the the faculty of faith as well as the activity of faith, these are gifts from our God. He's worked that in us. And it's that gift that is on the forefront of our minds in light of this occasion. public confession of faith of a daughter of the congregation. 
You know, that's a part of what God has done for you. But it goes beyond the gift of faith, doesn't it? So many other wondrous gifts that we can see in our lives from the things such as the gift of godly parents, a Christian education, the opportunity to grow up in a covenant community. There's the forgiving grace whereby He washes away all of our sins. His sanctifying grace whereby He delivers us from the power of the devil and works in us to be holy even as He is holy. There's His preserving grace that, that draws us back to Himself when we start to go astray. That keeps us from falling altogether away from His grace. There's His work to bring us through the trials, the difficulties of life. And so many other things. So that if we tried to count them, list them off one by one, we would soon find that His works are truly countless. And now if only we were mindful of it. So that we too were focused on all that God has done for me. Because often that's not the case. More often than not, we forget about what God has done for us and we are tempted instead to focus on the things that we perceive He has withheld from us. So that our focus is not on all that He's already done for us, all that He's given to us, but instead on that which we think we really ought to have, the thing we want to have, but God has not given to us. So that we start to think that God is, is holding out on us, that He's sort of shortchanged us. And when that's our thinking, we lose sight of God's works on our behalf. That's a real temptation for us. The temptation that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When the devil came to Eve, he first had to make her forget all about what God had done for her. Forget about the fact that He's given you the right to partake of, to eat every other tree of every other tree in the garden. To lose sight of the fact that along with Adam, they were given dominion over the whole creation. And best of all, they could walk with God there in the garden in the cool of the day. They could speak with God. They could enjoy covenantal communion with Him. Many wondrous things that God had done for her soul. But in that moment, the only thing she saw was the one thing He withheld. A piece of fruit. That's how the devil works. He wants us to forget about all the things that God has already done for us and is currently doing for us and to fixate on that which He has withheld in His, in His wisdom. May God deliver us from that temptation. And may He instead give us the same perspective as the psalmist so that our eyes are wide open to all that He has done for our souls. So that we too are mindful of His awesome works. So that we are aware of the countless things that He has done 
for us and so that we have all these gifts, all these works on the forefront of our minds. For it's only when that's the case that we will want to also tell others about it, even as the psalmist declared God's works to others. That was indeed the psalmist's desire, his intention. Not just to rehearse these great works of God to himself. Not just to recount them in his own mind. But to recount them, to rehearse them to others so that the King James captures the idea when it says in Psalm 66, verse 16, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. The psalmist wants to tell others out loud. And there was an eagerness in the psalmist to do this. Notice how the verse begins. Come and hear. And I will declare what God hath done for you. The psalmist is gathering an audience. He's shouting, gather around and give me your ear. Listen attentively for a moment. And in this, we see an eagerness in the psalmist to tell others about what God had done for him. So that he was not of the mind to sit back and let others come to him. His thinking was not that, well, if somebody asks me about what God has done, then then I'll tell that individual. But rather, the psalmist was calling for an audience. Really, he could not keep it in. He, He had to tell someone what God had done for him was so great, so good, so glorious, he could not keep it to himself. So that we see... In this psalmist, one who is truly exercising his prophetic office in the truest and most literal sense of that word, prophet. The Old Testament word for prophet comes from the verb that means to bubble over. So the idea of a prophet is one who is so filled with the Word of God that he cannot keep it in. It's going to come out. It's going to spill over in what he says. And that's what we see in this psalmist. He could not keep it in. He had to tell others what God had done for his soul. And he especially wanted to tell his fellow believers. That's the audience that he calls for. Verse 16, come and hear, all ye that fear God. That is, those of you who know God by faith, and who reverence God. He's calling for His fellow believers, the other members of the covenant community, to come gather around and to listen to what He has to say about His God. And in calling for this audience, that does not exclude telling others, non-believers, about what God has done for us. For even the psalmist wanted all people to know what God had done. That comes out of the very beginning of the psalm. Make a joyful noise unto God all ye lands. The psalmist would have rejoiced to have the opportunity to tell the whole world about what God had done for him, but yet his focus, at least in verse 16, is on telling his fellow believers. That is, on telling those who would be glad to hear about God's works, 
to hear about God's faithfulness in the life of a fellow Christian who would likewise be filled with fear and reverence on account of what God had done for the psalmist. So that's to his fellow Christians. The psalmist is shouting out, as it were, come near. Give me your ears. And let me tell you what our God has done for me. Let me tell you of His goodness, of His faithfulness, of His mercy in my own heart and life. And shall we not do the same in light of all that God has done for us? This ought to be our desire too to recount, to rehearse to others God's wondrous works on our behalf. And the joy of this morning for us is that Anna, you have done that this morning by your confession of faith, by your public confession of faith. You are declaring to those who fear God what He has done for you. That Jesus Christ died not just generally for His people, but personally for you. That He worked in your heart the gift of faith. So that the focus is not upon you as an individual, not trying to call attention to yourself, but on what God has done. And as a congregation, we're thankful that that desire to tell others about God's work in your life extends beyond just this morning. That it characterizes your life more broadly. And as a congregation, we think especially of your singing. God has given you musical abilities and He's given you a willingness to use those in a very public way. And we're thankful for that. When you sing, whether as a part of a choir or in a solo, you are saying to everyone, Let me tell you what God has done for me. And as your pastor, I've seen that in other areas of your life as well. Whether it's in catechism or young people society or a book discussion or some conversation, God has worked in you a certain willingness and a boldness to speak about spiritual matters not unlike Simon Peter. And again, the point is we give thanks to God for this. And the encouragement for you is to continue to tell others what God has done for you. But it's not just for Anna that this Word of God comes to us. It's for all of us. There is to be a willingness, a desire to speak to others about what God has done for us. And certainly that should be include a willingness to tell unbelievers about God's work in our lives. 
For after all, Jesus taught us to let our light shine before men. Scripture elsewhere teaches us to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. So that whether a man is a believer or an unbeliever, there should be a desire in our hearts to tell them about what God has done for me. But then especially to our fellow believers, to the other members of the church. And specifically, this is something that should be a part of our conversations with each other when we get together. And that's an important point to make. Because how often is it not the case that when we exit the sanctuary on a Sunday or when we gather together on a Friday night, the only things we talk about are things like the weather and work and other people and sports or whatever it may be. And now do not misunderstand me. It is not wrong to talk about those things. But we do have to face the question, are those the only things we ever talk about? Do we ever move beyond the generalities into that which pertains to our spiritual lives? Psalm 66 reminds us that there is to be a spiritual dimension, a spiritual element to our everyday conversation with each other. So that a part of what we talk about when we gather together are the things that pertain to the kingdom of our God. And that conversation should have the same positive aspect to it that we find in the psalmist. And I mention having this positive focus because sometimes there's a negative focus. So that maybe when we do get together, we do talk about things that pertain to the church. But the only thing coming out of our mouths are complaints. Criticisms. So that everything that we have to say is entirely negative. And if that's how we talk about spiritual matters, if that's how we talk about the church, then we probably are better off not talking about the church at all. Instead of that, we should follow this good example of the psalmist who spoke positively about what God had done for him in his own heart and life. So that we too should be willing to say, let me tell you about what God has done for me recently. Let me tell you that I was tempted to commit some sin, but God, by His grace, kept me back from it. Or maybe it's slightly different. I was ensnared in some sin and God has delivered me from it. He's opened my eyes to the the sinful path that I was walking down. Let me tell you about a time in my life. How there was some great trial and how in the moment, I could not make any sense of it. It all seemed wrong to me, but now with a little bit of perspective, a little bit of time between that trial and now, I can look back and I can see 
what he was doing and how even that has been used for my good. Let me tell you that last week I was down in the dumps. But God lifted me up out of that. That's what the psalmist is doing here. Recounting to others God's own works in his life as an individual. Now this does not mean we have to open up the depths of our hearts to every last person in the church. I'm not saying that. But the point is there should be this positive spiritual element to our conversations when we get together as fellow believers. And thus this passage is a good reminder for those who are here for the retreat this week. As a congregation, we are thrilled to see so many different young adults from different areas who've come here to Redlands, and we trust that you all are excited about the week to come and excited to interact with fellow Christians. But now in light of this passage, let at least a part of those interactions be talking about spiritual matters. And certainly the discussion groups will provide an excellent opportunity for that. But let this extend beyond the discussion groups and even into the conversations that you have with each other throughout the entirety of the week. And if you find yourself reluctant, if you hesitate, if you think, I don't know if I can speak so freely as the psalmist, there are two things to bear in mind to overcome that obstacle, that difficulty for you. First, remember we're talking to fellow believers, those who fear God. The psalmist said, Come and hear all ye that fear God, so that our audience at least when we're talking in a covenant community, whether it's in the church, whether it's at retreat, or whatever context it may be, we're speaking to others who likewise fear God. That is, they know God, they reverence God, and they too want to glorify God. And this is an important point because sometimes we can be afraid of what others might think about me if I bring up spiritual matters. Perhaps there's a a fear of being labeled as Miss Goody Two-Shoes. But that ought not be. Because insofar as we are speaking to fellow believers, we are addressing those who almost certainly want to talk about these things. And perhaps they too are struggling with this reluctance. I'd I'd love to talk about spiritual matters, but I'm a little bit afraid. And Therefore, we should be the ones to press forward a little bit to try to shift the conversation in a a spiritual direction. And I'm confident that if by God's grace we do that, 
Others will be glad to join in. I can remember as a young adult being convicted of this point that I'm making now and going to a, a gathering on a Sunday night and thinking, I'm going to try to start a spiritual conversation. And I found the one person I was most comfortable with and thought, this is someone who's safe. This is someone who's easy to talk to. But what struck me is that within minutes of talking to this one individual, others started coming to sit down at our table. They could hear the, the flavor of our conversation and they were drawn to it. Why? Because they too feared God. So remember that when you are speaking to one another. And again, the application here is not just to the young adults, but to all of us as a congregation. But then secondly, if we find ourselves hesitating, reluctant, then what we really need to do is to go back and to recount, to rehearse God's works to our own souls. To remind ourselves of what He's done. To bring them back to the forefront of our minds. Because if we, if we have what God has done for my soul at the forefront of our minds, the result is that there's going to be a gratitude that swells in our hearts. And it's that gratitude, that thanksgiving for what God has done for us that's really the motive that drives this very thing that we find the psalmist doing. Telling others about what God had done for him. And that gratitude comes out in one of the versifications of this psalm. We're going to sing Psalm 175 after the sermon. And in Psalm 175, stanza 3, we sing this, Come here, all ye that fear the Lord, while I with grateful heart record what God has done for me. It's thanksgiving for His wondrous works that leads us to tell others about what He has done for me. And the beauty is that when we do this, our God is glorified thereby. And that ultimately is our purpose in telling others to glorify our God thereby. It's not the only reason. There are other good effects of telling others about what God has done for us. And one of them would be the encouragement of our fellow believers. For when by God's grace we recount, we rehearse what He has done in my own heart and life and relate that to others, it has a way of building up those around us. It instills confidence in our fellow believers that God will likewise be able and willing to assist them in their deepest hour, in their time of need. So that by telling one another about what God has done for me, the whole body is, is encouraged. Our faith is strengthened. And that by itself is further encouragement to be willing to tell others about what God has done for me. But though that's maybe one purpose that we have in view, it's not the chief purpose. 
What's primary is the glory of our God. That clearly was the psalmist's intent, his desire, his purpose. And that comes out from the fact that this is a psalm of praise. It's evident from the outset, verse is 1 and 2, make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing forth the honor of His name. Pray, make His praise glorious. And that continues throughout the psalm in the middle, verse 8. Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of His praise to be heard. And then all the way at the end, the psalmist says, Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor His mercy from me. So that when we look at the psalm as a whole, we see that the the tenor of the entire psalm is that it's a psalm of praise. This is what the psalmist wanted. was the glory of his God. And that clearly then was his purpose in calling others to listen to what he has to say about what God had done for him. So that God would be glorified. So that others would join him in glorifying God. Certainly, the very process of recounting God's works, that by itself brings praise to God. For God's name shines forth when His children recount His great works that He's done all throughout the history of the church and especially His saving work at the cross of Calvary. God's name is honored when we give a testimony about His faithfulness in our own hearts and in our own lives. So that the very retelling of what God has done, that by itself brings glory and honor to God's name. But the psalmist clearly wanted more than that. Not just that God would be glorified in the process of telling others, but so that others would join him in praising God. So that their hearts would be stirred up. So that that sense of fear, that reverence, that awe for God would be rekindled. And they too would have this burning desire to worship and to praise God. The psalmist is basically saying, let's get as many people together as we can. All who have on the forefront of their minds God's wondrous work so that collectively as a body we can join our voices together. And praise this glorious God. That was the psalmist's purpose. And, that may, and may that be our purpose too. In all of life and in this aspect of it too. Calling others. Come. And hear. And let me tell you what God has done for my soul. May God give us the grace to do that. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, countless are thy works which Thou hast done for us. Chief of which being the saving work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. But then flowing from that most glorious work, countless others. And for all this, we give Thee thankful praise. 
And we pray now for the grace to be willing to speak out, to tell others about all that Thou hast done so that Thy name might be praised. Work Work this in us by Thy Spirit and hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.